Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. The Bible reads, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you and to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has, has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. We've had a chance for a few weeks to be able to walk through this, this book of Ruth, which is a powerful story, beautiful story. It speaks to God's faithfulness. It speaks to love, intimacy, relationship, God's ability to take tragedy and show triumph out of tragedy. But it's also a powerful story because it's a story that offers hope to, to you and, and to me, where in the midst of a world like ours, which is no different than the world of, of the book of Ruth, where truth is a minority and where more and more people are not all that interested in what God has to say, and where you have a culture and a society that are prepared to go in an entirely opposite direction from what God wants, from God's will, from God's ways, and from God's word, it's kind of encouraging to be able to know that there are still people who are prepared to walk with God. That's the story of Ruth, to let you know if you feel that way, God included the book of Ruth to encourage you and know, look, the world that you are in, where you feel like, man, I don't know if I could find anybody who believes what I believe. I, I feel like I spent, unless I'm a part of a, a meeting, kind of like this one, or unless I'm, I'm intentionally gathered together with God's people, I feel like I'm the minority in a lot of the places that I find myself in. We understood that the book of Ruth is written within a particular historical context, and that historical context has to do with the book of Judges. In fact, verse 1 and the first part of verse 1 tells us that these were the times or the days of the judges. And what we know about the judges is it wasn't the best of days. Amen? Uh, this wasn't Billy Graham's generation. <laughs> right? It was rough. And what's interesting is it wasn't just rough in the world. A lot of what the book of Judges is describing is how things were in the church, not in the world. Corruption found itself, no doubt, in the world, but also in the church. So much so that you not only were in doubt about hearing anything meaningful and valuable 
spiritually out there, you began to also call into question whether it was even worth it to go to church as corrupt as it got. Maybe you've met people like that where they went to a church because there was moral corruption. Pastor ran out with secretary. Or maybe you went to a church where pastor and treasurer ran out with the money. (laughs) Or maybe you went to a church where you saw abuse because of authority. And your only experience is church gone bad. And you're thinking, forget it. That, that's this time. It was Horatius Bonner, long ago, in one of his biographies, well-known missionary, who said, during his time, I looked for the church, and I found it in the world. I looked for the world, and I found it in the church. And that's an awful lot of, of the way that it's like a lot of times in, in our day and age. You almost think, am I better off just taking my Bible and staying at home and just getting as much as I could get out of it by myself? Because I'm afraid sometimes of what's coming out or what may come out of some of the pulpits across this nation, given what people are prepared to believe these days, not just in the world, but even in the church. That was the book of Judges. That was the book of Judges, where everyone did what is right in their own eyes, not God's eyes. This is, this is hitting me and you very much, so much so that pressure is coming upon the church to cave to the world's whims. And like Ruth, and like Naomi, and like Boaz, as we're going to see, you and I, church, need to be able to stand tall and be men of women of extraordinary integrity, even in a time like this, and no matter what may be going on and what sort of a turn our world or even the culture of some of our churches may be taking, you and I have got to be able to stand at the end of the day. And the book of Ruth is written for that. Sadly, we saw Elimelech, didn't we, along with his family. As soon as pressure came on, he bailed and he got out of Dodge. And he took his family, left Bethlehem, which is Irony, for all ironies, house of bread, which is what Bethlehem means. God allowed famine in the house of bread to be able to hit Bethlehem. And as a result of that, Elimelech took his family up and decided to go to Moab, thinking that Moab is where his answer is. And as a result of that, he died along with his sons and left Naomi, as we're about to see here, bereft as a widow and also as a woman who no longer has her sons. The very thing that Elimelech was trying to escape, dying, is the very thing that ended up happening. I mean, what was the big idea last week? Death is in God's hands. You and I have no control over that. And even though we may not have a physical Moab that we would geographically move to, we all got Moabs of our own kind. And remember that, that's the other big idea I pointed out, and that is every one of us is Elimelech in one form or another. When pressure hits... Rather than going to God in prayer and fasting and saying, God, what am I supposed to learn from this tough circumstance I find myself in? Maybe it's not a famine where my stomach is hurting as a result of it, but it's tough anyways. And anytime God in his providence sends something like that, whether he permits it or whatever way he allows it, you and I as God's people, like Elimelech should have, are supposed to say, God, what are you trying to say? What are you communicating through this tough spot? Elimelech didn't. Rather, he ran away from the message that God was trying to communicate through the difficulty. And that's me a lot of times. Rather than sitting down and wanting to hear and learn 
from the tough lesson that God sometimes wants to communicate to us, I'd rather opt for something more convenient. So maybe it's not a Moab. Maybe it's a difficult relationship. Or maybe it's a hard time in marriage that the relationship is finding itself in. What's the easy solution? I'm out of this marriage. I'm going to go find me somebody else. Rather than looking at how difficult it is in this home and finding out how pressing it is and how much this challenge is bringing all sorts of things to the surface about me that I should have straightened out a long time ago, that's too inconvenient. I mean, that means I got to grow up. That means I got to go to God. That means I got to depend on him. That means I got to look to him. Yeah. (laughs) I'd rather just say, you know what? I'm going to go to Moab. I'm going to go to someone else. I'm going to run away from my problems. But Elimelech only picked them up as soon as he arrived. And isn't that the case? So many people who who will ditch one marriage only to find out that problem resurfaced in the next marriage. Why? Because it was never her. It was never him. Sure, they may have issues and they need to grow, but a lot of times, all the time, it only brings to occasion what was going on in my heart. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out. You guys are busy washing your hands and, and, and getting on my case about not, not encouraging my disciples to wash their hands. They could do that all they want. The biggest issue is my heart. And if a job or a marriage or a relationship or a church where I'm a member of brings out challenges, famine-like, it's only so that I can be alerted about what needs to grow or change about me. Elimelech failed to do that. That's what we find. God could bring challenges, famine-like, in our church. What are we going to do? Are we going to bail on one another? Or are we going to say, you know what, church, let's fast, let's pray, because something is going on, and I think it may be the Lord trying to communicate to us in his kindness. And so rather than running away from his presence and running away from his people here, why don't we all get together and cry out to God so that we could find out his answer? Elimelech was like, nah, I'm going to come up with my own answer. We're out of here. But it never solved it. It never solved it. And now Naomi suffers as a result of that. She's left with no one. It's been nothing but trouble. The book of Ruth is communicating so much of your life and my life. This is so close to home, isn't it? I know we pointed out last time that it's beautiful that God in his kindness would allow a book of the Bible to be named after a woman. Isn't that interesting? There's only one other book we mentioned, and that's the book of Esther. And Not only is she a woman, you see, Esther was a queen. Ruth was a very lowly, poor young girl. The book of Esther was uh, written at a time in which the story begins with a feast. The book of Ruth begins its book with a famine. Esther is a Jewess who ends up marrying a Gentile. Ruth, on the other hand, is a Gentile who ends up marrying a Jew. The book of Esther closes with the death and the hanging of an enemy. The book of Ruth, on the other hand, ends up closing with the birth of a child. And so however much these two books may have differences that distinguish them, the one common thread woven by God throughout both of these books is the fact that however tough life is, 
God is determined to preserve his people and his church to the end. That God is for you, church, and not against you. And no matter how bad things may have been, it's not the last chapter of the story. There's always hope with him. And that's where our scene enters. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Praise God. As bad as things got, And you're thinking, oh, great. Not only does it open with the famine, God's already beginning to show us a bit of his favor. What does she hear? We don't know how she heard it. They don't have Twitter. Uh, There's no text message. There's nobody who could have sent some instant message to her. And so someone in Bethlehem had to catch the caravan to be able to find themselves eventually. That's Scholars tell us it could have been anywhere from 35 to 45 miles, the distance between Moab in Bethlehem. That would be like going to Arlington, almost, UTA, some of you UTA students, if we have any. And that trip's journey, someone finally got to her, and here she gets word. Food? Bread? Blessing? God's goodness? Favor? The famine is lifted? What? And she arises. She's ready to go back to Bethlehem. But you know what's important is What's more important is that Naomi's heart was in the right place to return to Bethlehem. She had every opportunity to return to Bethlehem. It's been, what, 10 plus years since the time they moved to Moab and her husband died and her two sons not only got married but eventually died. 10 plus years that they've been away from church. How many in here have been away from the church? 10 plus years. And now they're ready to come back. Are they going to be able to remember the worship songs? Are they going to remember what to do in church? Get up, stand down. What is that, an offering plate? You put money in Are they going to be able to know how to sit under preaching? All of this is foreign and unusual for them. And here she's coming. She's getting ready to come back. But it's more so her heart of repentance. It's not just that God brought favor to Bethlehem. It's that Naomi's heart was in the right place to respond by rising and returning to Bethlehem. You see? You could preach repentance all you want, but nobody's going to bite unless they got reason to. You see, if judgment was on the other end, repent. By the way, there's a famine. Now come back to Bethlehem. It wouldn't have been good. I don't know about you, but all of the times that I have found myself moved by the Spirit of God and motivated to repent about anything in my life, And to forsake whatever it is I had to forsake in order to have God, it was because of what I was convinced by God's grace at that moment that I knew I was going to get in return for what I had to give up. But if you don't convince me about what I'm going to get in exchange for what i got to give up, try all you want. I ain't giving her up. I ain't giving him up. I ain't giving it up. That's a lot of people. The only way I can drop, put aside the bottle or give up the club scene or put away toxic people or get out of that unhelpful relationship that will not help. Mary, is if I know that what God has for me is far better than what I could provide for myself. Naomi may have not been there in the beginning. After all, she ended up helping get them to Moab, but she finally was there. You see, the Bible tells us that it's the kindness of God, the forbearance of God, that leads us to repentance. Romans 2. 
It's not the judgment of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And that's important because all throughout this book of Ruth, you're going to see this theme in Hebrew that's referred to, maybe you've heard it before, the hesed of God. That's a quality about God that is seen all throughout the scriptures. You can't know God unless you know the hesed of God. I know my Jewish people would fault me for this. The way you're supposed to say it is hesed. All right? So go on ahead, look at your neighbor and hit. No, 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 no. Don't do, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. It's the hesed of God. We don't have a word in English that kind of captures it in one word. I know the Hebrews have one word, hesed. But it's the love of God, the kindness of God, the steadfastness of God, the compassion of God, the grace of God, the faithfulness of God. It's all of this summed up in that one word. And Naomi is beginning to have her eyes open to the hesed of God, God's hesed. How do we know? By the way in which he just showed that through what he delivered, he visited Bethlehem with. You see, at this point, we've been seeing God's hand all throughout this first chapter. And we're going to continue to. But the book of Ruth is, is like Esther in this. You don't see God's name mentioned in the book of Esther, but it's one of the books of the Bible. It's God's word. In the book of Ruth, all you see is God's word mentioned twice by the author. Only two times is God's name ever mentioned by the author. Once in chapter 1, verse 6, which is where we're at, and twice in the last time in chapter 4 in verse 13. Only these two times. It's interesting, isn't it? That how God could be all over something, but his name isn't all everywhere. That you can have very infrequent mentions by the author of God by using his name, but if you look carefully enough and your heart is right, you'll see God everywhere. Why is this important? Because if you'll agree with me, you know that that's an awful lot of how your life and my life is like. That sometimes it may be difficult to be able to see God in ways that we want him, but if we look with his eyes, he's actually everywhere. God's everywhere. I don't need to wait for Sunday for God to hit. God's everywhere. God's in my trials and God's in my blessings. God's in my valleys and God's in my mountains. No matter where I am, God's there. And the story of Ruth is a story that encourages us to believe and to be prepared to believe that God's in my everyday life. Not just in the highlight points. That's how people are, right? Maybe you got people like that in your life where when things are going good and you're posting and so forth, all of a sudden you get texts and calls and everybody wants to hang around. But as soon as things are tough and as soon as things hit a hard spot, it's like, where are they at? I haven't heard a text from you lately. That's not God. God's prepared to be in my life when everybody is behind me and when everybody's not. That's important. You see, what we're talking about here is what some theologians refer to as the, the providence of God. Maybe you've heard that term before, and that's what we're seeing right here. I know we know about the miracles of God, and what they do is what they do is they refer to it in two ways, if you will, God's visible hand and God's invisible hand. You see, when we talk about God's visible hand, what we're talking about is the ways in which God demonstrates himself through miracles, and we see that. Fire come down from heaven, the parting of the Red Sea, voice coming out of a bush, water out of a rock, Jesus walking on water, calling a dead man out of the grave. These are the 
visible hands of God, and there's no doubt about them. But you got to pay attention to the invisible hand of God, which is what we refer to as the providence of God. See, the invisible hand of God is what you and I notice in hindsight. We don't necessarily see it in the way that we see miracles, except for, ah, God was present all along, and we praise him after the fact. But what the, Ruth, the story of Ruth is trying to show us is, you see him? He's right there. I know it looks like he's not. He's in the famine. He's in the struggle. He's in the death. He's in the grief. He's in the sorrow. He's in the pain. And he's also in the joy and the birth. He's in the bringing of a future husband. He's, he's in the journey back to, to Bethlehem. And you and I need to have that same sort of heart and relationship is what God is trying to say even in our own lives. A lot of times we put our relationship on pause until God shows up in, the life, in our life the way we want him to. And until then, I ain't paying attention to what God is trying to teach me through all of these things in my life. You could send them, but I'm not going to learn anything. You could bring that circumstance or that season or that chapter in my life, but I'm not going to look for you in it. And what the, Ruth, the story of Ruth is trying to communicate is, please look, because he's there. And there's no season of your life that's a waste. God's in all of your seasons. Not just the seasons you look forward to, but even the seasons sometimes that are bitter and that are painful. I couldn't tell you how important this is. If Elimelech had known this, and he should have, he would have never left Bethlehem. God's in Moab. No, he's not. He's here. But why would I go through these difficulties? I don't know. But we go to God for that. We don't run away from what we know God said. How many people you know who've been in church, who've been experiencing God's presence or God's people, but because of one trying circumstance or situation or another, rather than going to God and saying, God, help me to see that invisible hand of yours, they took the easy route, the convenient route and got themselves into even more of a challenge. That's Naomi. And so Naomi, praise God, is seeing not only God's providence in what he permitted because of their disobedience, but he's, she's now seeing God's providence in their life because of what he's bringing back because of his kindness. This is important. You and I need to understand two things about God, that God is both sovereign and that God is both good. That God is both sovereign and that God is both good. What I mean by that is this. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about how able God is. When we talk about the goodness of God, we're talking about how willing God is. Now, when you go to some churches, you got churches that are all about the sovereignty of God, right? We got names for them. They're big on the sovereignty of God. And then you'll go to other churches, and they're really big on the goodness of God. And you keep these two attributes of God away from each other when God wants them understood and appreciated and experienced together. When all I got is the, the sovereignty of God without the goodness of God, all I got is a God who's powerful and able, but I don't really know and I'm not quite convinced that he's for me, that he's willing to work on my behalf and in my interest, that he's willing. When all I got is the goodness of God, but I don't have the sovereignty of God? Well, I got a God who sympathizes with me, and I got a God who's willing to help, but he can't. 
What good is that? It would be like some of us probably had friends like this who, who heard our story. We brought some news to them because we didn't know who to tell. And we were in a tight spot, and they're like, man, I'm so sorry about that. Really, I wish I could help you, but, man, but I can't. But I'm, I'm here. It's like, I need more than that. <laughs> I'm glad you're sitting next to me, but I need somebody who has the ability to help me in my situation. But praise God. In God, we have a God who is able and willing. A God who has all the power in his hands, but a God who also is willing to be there for you. And Naomi is beginning to discover that. And that's what's causing her and encouraging her to rise and to go back. Because she says, in Bethlehem, I know I got a God who's able and a God who's willing. And so I got every reason to leave this place in order to go back to where I belong. Friend, maybe you've been away from God. And maybe you feel like, you know what, it's been too long, perhaps 10 years, perhaps not 10 years. And you feel like you've drifted. And you're wondering, at this point in my spiritual journey, is it even worth it to even try to build my life back again and get back to where I was with God? Or maybe where I need to be in the first place. And I'm here to tell you, Naomi's story says yes. Yes. That no matter how far you've drifted, if you are just prepared to believe that God is both able and willing, he'll show up and he'll show out in your life. And you will find him to be exactly as Naomi is beginning to find him. Verse 7, she tells us, so she set out from the place, the place being Moab, where she was with her two daughters-in-law, that's Orpah and and Ruth, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may, again, that word kindly is hesed. I pray the hesed of God in your way. The Lord grant that you may find rest, verse 9, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices. And wept, and they said to her, No, we will not return. We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back. You, you feel the pain? This is quite, quite a story that grips me. I don't know about you. She, she, Naomi's at this point where, yes, she's rising. Yes, she's ready to finally return, which is a picture of repentance. You're going to see the word turn and return over and over again, which is a picture of repentance. She's prepared to forsake Moab and return back to Bethlehem, which is what represents God's presence and God's people. But all of a sudden, she's reminded, maybe by Satan, maybe by her own thoughts, she's reminded of her track record, her past the poor decisions she's made, like helping her husband out, come to Moab. She's reminded of her sin. She's reminded of those things that bring guilt and shame and grief. And she's reminded of her contribution in them. And along with that, she sees these women, which are ongoing reminders of being the product of a bad decision. Like a woman who gets pregnant out of wedlock and has a child to show for it. And she's thinking, wait a second, I was kind of excited about going back, but I'm not too sure about returning at least not with these women, because I don't see any good for them. And so what does she do? She's encouraged them to go back. She says, look, 
I'm, I'm advanced in years. I'm too old to offer you anything. I don't have a husband, and I live in this kind of a Beit Ab society. I don't have any goods, no resources that I could help you with. I live in a different land. You don't know my language. You don't know my God. You don't know my community. You don't know my people. What good would it do you for you to come back with me? In fact, I'm better off saying that you just stay right here in Moab. You're still young. Sure, what's happened is bad. And sure, it's painful. Sure, there's loss. Sure, there's grief. But you're young. I'm sure your family will take you back in and maybe... You can marry and and have children of your own and and start a life of your own. But me, I'm advanced in years, and I would do no good to you for you to follow me. Go back to Moab. You see, before we sympathize and identify with Naomi, we got to settle whether or not what she's saying is true, though, and accurate. And it's not. Naomi's not right. In fact, in in verse 15, she says, go back to your people and your gods. Be careful when you seek to minister to people from your bitterness and your pain. It's amazing how she went to all the Sunday school. She She sat under how many different sermons. She's been in sanctuary. She's been in synagogue. She's been around the people of God. She's had the word of God. She's had the presence of God. But it's amazing how what we allow life to do to us in shaping our feelings about what we think about God and allowing what he's allowed into our life could impact our witness. You see, she's not offering words of wisdom from her identity in God. She's offering it from her identity in her pain, in her trauma in her bitterness. And that's where we see it right here. She's basically, this is evangelism. It's more like anti-evangelism. She's discouraging them like, no, 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 don't repent. Don't come to God. What are you doing walking forward? Don't raise your hand. Go back to Kingdom Hall. Go back to the mosque and worship Allah. Um, Go back to that church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It would be akin to you and I discouraging someone. You don't want to come to church with me on Sunday. No, no, no. What time is it? No, no, Don't ask me about that time. Just go back to wherever you are. And it's amazing how where we are in our spiritual journey with Jesus, we end up eventually evangelizing or not from. And that's Naomi. Oh, praise God. We're about to see something amazing. And that's how good our God is, that he's able to take even something off, like with Naomi or you or me, and turn it around and use it for his ultimate good. It's been said that God is able to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. We got a crooked stick in Naomi, but we got a straight line that God is still drawing. What's the big idea? That no matter how inadequate you and I may be, And no matter how much at different times we may blow it and drop the ball in our witness and some of the things that come out of our mouth, God can take even that and turn it around for the good of people. I don't know about you, but how many times I felt like, oh, my goodness, what did I tell them? I gave them false. Oh, man, I'm going to be accountable to God. I hope God doesn't deal with me for that. But it's amazing how they're ultimately in God's hands, not in my hands. 
and look at how Naomi was at her lowest point. You don't want to come to me for words of wisdom or help. Look, I'm trying to figure my own life out. Maybe somebody feels like that. I feel like I'm having a difficult time even believing the things that I've heard, let alone offer you something. And yet she has to say something. And so she does. And she says, go back to your gods. Oh, did that just come out of my mouth? Worship Allah. (laughs) And here we have this situation where we're going to see whether or not they're going to go with that. But you know what's interesting is what was her folly in her language ends up being a test of their commitment. What was a sin to Naomi was a test of commitment for Ruth and Orpah. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. God's able to work all things together for good, including this mishap right here. It's amazing how Orpah and Ruth would have never been brought to the place where they were pressed to have to make a decision were it not for Naomi's mistake. I hope this is an encouragement for you because maybe you're not encouraging people to go back to a physical Moab. Maybe you wouldn't go that far. But I know a lot of people, and maybe they're here, who you can't remember the last time you have bore witness to Christ. You can't remember the last time you've publicly shared your faith with someone at work, in a break room, at school, on campus, in a library, in your apartment complex, in your, wherever you may be, at your gym. And a lot of times what happens is if we don't allow God to address our brokenness and our sin and a lot of the things we've had to pass through, it ends up hindering our ability to be a witness because we feel like. We may not say what Naomi said, go back to your land, go back to your gods, but what, what, do, what do we do? We don't offer anything. If I'm not sharing what people need to hear, I'm basically not offering them anything, and it's as good as what Naomi has offered them. And what God wants you to know is, it's what, what Naomi needed to know, that no matter what may have been her past, which is what she's allowing to drive a lot of what's coming out of her mouth, God can still use you. You're not disqualified. Naomi may have thought that was the case, but God didn't encourage her to think that that was the case. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this, that I want you to no longer be living defined by your past. I want you and me, church, to begin living by who God says we are. At this moment and at this instance, she's not operating from where she should be operating. She's operating out of fear. What's the fear? Well, I'm already known for being the woman who who bailed with her husband when the going got tough, and now i got to go back. i got to go back to those women in that women's Bible study. i got to go back to that church. I know there are going to be people gossiping about me i got to go back to my community, wherever it is they hang out in that town, and I know I'm going to be the talk on the street. You hear Naomi's back? You give it to her yet? No, I haven't given it to her yet. You give it? No, I haven't. I wonder what brought her back. Oh, did you see who she has with her? No, who does she have with her? Oh, she got some, uh, some pagans. She got some, um, she got some Moabitus, Moabitus women, 
And she's feeling this. She's not even there yet, but she already knows. You and I know this. You sin, you blow it, and maybe some of your brokenness and some of your sin and your mistakes hit the fan and other people know, and you're like, I ain't going back to that church. No way, no how. I already know what people are talking about. I know church people. I know how they think. And even if, even if they may not come to me and say it, I already know what they're thinking in their head. Ain't no way I'm going back to church. And there's so many people who stay away from community, stay away from church because of what they fear other people are going to think when they see them or say in private when they see them. That's Naomi. God forbid that that not be here in this church. My prayer is that we be a community where even if you may be that, you can still find a, a place home. And that the thought that occurs to you is, no, 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 when I get back, it's going to be welcome back, welcome home. We don't want to be a church where you're good, you can make it so long as you don't blow it. We want to be the kind of church that's capable of welcoming people and receiving people even when they're at their lowest spot. And the last thing we want is to send that message because that's what Naomi's getting. I don't know if it's because of what her experience was when she was in Bethlehem or if this is stuff she's just creating all by herself. And here she is. She's saying, I'm, I haven't got past my past. And I feel like however much I've seen God at work, I just feel like no matter how fast I move in God's future for my life, I feel like my past is dogging me. Anybody relate? And along with that, she looks to her left and she looks to her right. And she sees these Moabitess women, and she says, they're no help. Why? They speak a different language. They worship different gods. As soon as they open their mouth, these people are going to know. As soon as they see their dress and their garb, their garb and their customs and their ways, they're going to know. Stranger, foreigner, you know better not to be bringing people like that into the church. This would be akin to Jim Crow segregation era when a white brother and a black brother hit it off well, ended up becoming the best of buddies, but it only worked when they were in private with each other. They've never at any point up till then introduced one another to their communities. What's made it work is just when they're on their own. And then all of a sudden, because of how good things were, this brother, the black guy, decides to say, you know what, I want to come and worship with you. I mean, it's been good. It's got to be. And he's like, ah, my people ain't ready for you yet. I know we've been good, but they're not right quite where I'm at yet. And I'm just afraid. He's like, no, 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 I ain't got nothing else, though. I don't have any community. I don't have any church. I want to worship. He's like, God's there, but it's, it's confusing. And, and I'm just afraid of what you're going to encounter as soon as I walk into church with you. And I just I want to save you that trouble. And I'm also afraid of all of the ways in which I'm going to have to stand up for you. And I'm going to have to actually take a stand and be a voice for you, and actually point out how wrong they are, and how sinful it is to judge a man based upon the color of their skin. But I'm not ready for that, you see. You see, Naomi's mixed. She's mixed. And out of fear, she allows fear to drive her decision, rather than saying, you know what, in God's providence, he's brought you in my life. This is no accident. We don't talk luck, no superstition, no lucky rabbit. No, we speak providence. We don't say good luck, good providence. You can say good luck. I know what you really mean. It's providence. It's not luck. It's not happenstance. It's God's providence. God in his providence. It just so happened. 
Ruth happened to be in her life. It just so happened that as Ruth was in the field, it just so happened Boaz comes out. It just so happened that harvest time came around. It just, you'll see that again and again. I want you to pay attention in your life, if I had the time, over and over again, how God showed up with favor. You know this to be true. And this is an opportunity for Naomi to finally be able to stand up for truth and be a woman of integrity and to have this opportunity together with Ruth to be able to say, you know what? This should have been done a long time ago. I'm ready. How's God calling you? Is there an area in your life where you and I have to stand for something, no matter how hard or inconvenienced you may be? Are you prepared? Because that's true virtue. This whole story of Ruth is about virtue. The word virtue is all throughout it. And I want you women to be women of virtue. I want us men to be men of virtue. And yes, we do see ourselves in Elimelech and Naomi at their lowest points, but by God's grace, we can also see ourselves in Naomi and Elimelech at our best points. And God's prepared to do that. But you've got to be ready to avail yourself to him and recognize if, I, if God has appointed me for such a time as this, you don't know what God's appointment may be in your workplace or at school. The question is, are you being prepared right now for a time that can come tomorrow, next week? And is the investment that you're making in your relationship with God today preparing you to be the person that you need to be tomorrow? I thank God that we're about to see this turnaround in our own story. And I want to leave that with you as we come to a close. Maybe someone here today has already been in this situation. You think there's no hope. And you feel like, you know what? I was put in that situation, and I caved. I buckled. There's hope for you, friend. Maybe you're looking at your situation, and you're saying, you know what? I was the worst testimony and the worst witness, and I was in an exact situation like that. God's prepared to receive you to himself again. There's an opportunity for you. What do you have to do? You have to do what Naomi did. She rose and she returned back because she believed that God was both able and willing. Are you prepared to believe that God is both able and willing? He'll receive you to himself and he'll allow you to be someone that you could have never imagined yourself being, not just in church on a Sunday, but where it really counts where you're going to be a minority in the world. Father, we come before you thanking you for your hesed, that loving kindness, that favor, that grace that never runs out. God, we pray right now, we commit ourselves as a church to you. And Father, we ask for your grace upon our lives. Lord, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you're the God who's able to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that it, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Lord, I'm praying for this church to be men and women who are full of this sort of integrity, this sort of virtue, this sort of strength of heart and of character. God, I, we know that this is impossible left to ourselves, but with you, all things are possible. And may no single person gathered here today remain looking at themselves the way they once may well have been. 
but we, may we put that in our past. I pray we be prepared today to begin looking at ourselves the way you see us in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we glorify you and honor you and desire to see more of you like we are seeing in Naomi. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.